Hello, my dear listener, and welcome to Is This It? I'm your host, Donna Grunberga, and I'm here to have meaningful conversations with talented and purpose-driven people to discover what mindset allowed them to overcome their greatest challenges and achieve success and share it with you so you can do the same. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider joining my exclusive Patreon community to support the show and unlock bonus content. Cancer at my age, it was crazy to me. It shattered my whole world. I was constantly getting out of breath to a point where I was sleeping on four or five pillows. I had to be sleeping upright. The darkest moment was when my mind was flat. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. It was just one long, endless tunnel. On today's episode, Dr. Divya Valuvalu, an expert in anti-aging and regenerative medicine. Divya. Hello. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today. No, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> I am too. And given that you work in the field of beauty, if I say beauty, what comes up for you? It is beauty, but it's medical beauty. I have to correct you with that because there's a big umbrella term when it comes to the word beauty. You know, you've got makeup artists that fall into that category. So this particularly is medical beauty. Yes. So the first thing we look at when it's medical beauty is we look at your bone structure, your anatomy, your specific um, genetics, your features, the proportions of your face, and most importantly, your skin. Mm. Beauty for me is all of those in alignment. Okay. The reason why I ask that is beauty is actually one of my core values. And it's a very controversial thing to say, <laughs> I find, because people often misinterpret. So when I say beauty, beauty for me means finding and seeing the beauty within any situation. Mm. It's extracting the beautiful, even when it's ugly and it's. It's a time maybe in your life or it's a circumstance that's upsetting, but you still see the beauty in that one as well. Of course, it's also beauty in people. So it can be aesthetical. It can be, it usually is also personal. So the qualities, their heart, their mind. Um, and then it's a lot of nature. Uh, anyone that knows True, me yes. <laughs> knows that anytime I get into nature or a sunny place or seaside, I get so happy. <laughs> And, and then it's just silly things, you know, maybe puppies and flowers <laughs> and whatever it can be. So for me, beauty is, has a very wide range of meaning. So I was just curious kind of what, what, what is the first thing that comes to you when, when I say beauty? That's very interesting. I have two answers for you. One is stemmed from my work yeah. and the other is stemmed from me. So beauty for most people and in my line of work comes from your exterior, your appearance, how you present yourself, whether that be in your makeup, your, your hairstyle, the clothes you're wearing, just anything that's beautiful on the outside. But beauty to me personally is the beauty of someone's heart. I find that when I'm touched by someone's character or genuine self, that to me is so beautiful because it's so rare unfortunately mm. so two definitions yeah definitely i thought i thought that you'd lead with work so i'd, I'd also <laughs> ask you on a personal level um so i've been very much looking forward to this episode because you work with people every day and you help them look more beautiful and that's something that kind of we all subconsciously or consciously want to do and i feel like we live in a society that is so obsessed 
with us looking good forever. So should we look good forever? Where, where do we draw the line between helping ourselves and taking care of ourselves and transforming ourselves mm-hmm. completely into different mm-hmm. people, especially with cosmetic surgery? It's a very good question. And I, I'm faced with this spectrum with every single patient that comes in, you know, people wanting to change themselves, their reasoning behind it. It becomes a medical issue on one end if you have a disproportion or a misalignment in your bones or, for example, your teeth. Everyone goes for Invisalign because your bite is misaligned and then that is going to hinder your daily activities of chewing and eating food. Then you have the other spectrum where you have someone that is proportionately aligned and beautiful, but they want to enhance Beauty is a very subjective term. Mm. It's very subjective and everyone has different definitions of it. So my job mostly would be to take out the reasoning behind that person's ideal vision of themselves and why they're getting treatment. Where you draw the line, obviously we don't want to create weird, abnormal looking people in this world, which actually you will which find. Which all look the same also. That's <laughs> which all risk. look the same. People have lost their unique uh, or USP with their features. So yeah, I, I would draw the line when you're drastically trying to change something and it's not attainable. It's not normal. It doesn't look good or it's just not medically attainable. If you're fixing an issue, then there's a need for it. And then you have the middle ground where you're just trying to enhance what you have you still look like your normal self but maybe a fresher version of yourself mm. or a more refined version of yourself or or a more youthful self mm. and then the other extreme where you definitely draw the line is if you're trying to look like your ai image or your filtered image which is very common these days interesting you said that i never thought about it so it's bad to try to look like you look with your filters on Well, yeah, because it's distorting you in some way. It's making maybe not you, but anyone. It's making the jawline slimmer. Maybe the cheeks are higher aligned. Maybe the eyes are more shaped and cat-like. And some of these are unattainable. They're not natural for that individual. And even if you can reproduce it, it's not going to look correct. So I think filters, <laughs> filters, yes, while there is a place for them in our society, there is a whole negative aspect of it as well, especially for the younger generation to have this ideal of themselves that is just not attainable. Yeah, I just always think, you know, what is the the younger generation? And the only reason I say younger generation is because they are automatically easier to influence rather than, you know, older people. That have gone through experiences and you know um might discern differently um when making decisions about their appearances is that you have these examples these massive role models you know starting of course with the kardashians and <laughs> you know i mean kylie made an empire based on her lips lips alone yeah lips right. alone so how do you how do you then say uh because there's a whole you know, group of people starting probably from your family that are going to say, don't do anything. You're beautiful the way you are, which absolutely is true. Mm-hmm, like we're mm-hmm. all unique and, and, and beautiful. But then how do you, as a as a young adult or, you know, at any age, how do you fight off this overbearing tsunami of 
uh, images and, and, and suggestions from the whole world, which literally say, change yourself, make yourself more like this, and your dreams will come true. Mm -hmm. Kind of that's the underlying messaging. And I, I, I often think about that and, you know, where, where is the solution? What if you had that messaging, but in the right way? Mm. The continuous telling someone you're amazing the way you are, work on your insides, don't focus so much on the outside. And what about that confidence that we can build in someone at a young age from, from the inside, as much as they're seeing it in social media from the outside, what if we had the same messaging to work on their inside? Wouldn't, wouldn't that have the same effect? It would, it would. Definitely. And I mean, mindset coach, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Work, working, working on that absolutely. specifically. But it's almost like the, it's more intangible, right? So you can't photograph your mindset. Mm. Uh, you can't, you know, display your values immediately. People need to actually stick around. To yeah, there, there's them. no instant gratification. Yes. That, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But I think I think you're spot on and... It's, it's the way the society is built. And also, I think it's the economic interest always. You know, yeah. what can you monetize? Absolutely. Can you monetize good values? <laughs> it's a bit harder. <laughs> I mean, you should companies. be. Yeah, I know. It's, it's kind of skewed in that sense. But if you can have the right surrounding from a young age, I think that will lead to a more inner confidence and anything you do on the outside. In fact, you probably won't even be chasing the outside because that gap is fulfilled from the inside. Hmm. And that's going to extend more than you caring so much about how you look on the outside and comparing yourselves to other models, because more often than not, these popular models and everyone famous, they're the unhappiest. Hmm, that's and they're true. the ones seeking all of these treatments and, and, and beauty and surgeries to look a certain way because there is a void that they're trying to fill. So I think you answered your own question. If we had that same teaching or that same exposure to working on the inside from an early age and that's being supported throughout your life your need to to look a certain way on the outside with societal values or, or the way society sees things may not Im impact you that much definitely and i think that brings us to to my next question about confidence i think you know we discussed a little bit about the, you know potentially the bad side uh, of uh, cosmetic surgery but there's also fantastic side to it, you know. I want to hear about maybe your journey and your client's journey that you've seen and the transformation in their confidence and your confidence um, when doing some enhancements, I should mm -hmm. say, maybe improvements to yourself. Little tweaks. Yeah, little <laughs> tweaks that were right, that seem right. Mm-hmm. My personal journey, so one of the reasons why I even had any passion in, in medical beauty was because I was an ugly duckling. Mm. You're <laughs> very up, beautiful, I was going to say. Thank you. I really was an ugly duckling. Um, I grew up in a minority, so I grew up in Ireland where I was one of the very few brown or colored people, so I already looked different. And I wasn't confident inside because of moving around so much in my earlier years, I had to develop the skill to kind of mold and blend in. So more often I was mirroring myself to my surroundings and the people I was with to just gain that fast acceptance. 
So I was very uncomfortable. It wasn't myself and it wasn't my genuine self, but that was the adaptation that I had to uh, learn to have that love and connection with people at a very short space of time. So my passion for this. You mean looking a certain way or acting? A certain looking way? and acting. Mm. Looking a certain way has power. I noticed, for example, in school, all the cool kids, they were all quite beautiful. Do you remember when you were younger, like the cool kids, they were more beautiful than your average other kid. So I put those two and two together. I knew being beautiful in some way had to give you some kind of a power. And I was craving that. Mm. That's where my interest stemmed from. And I began to analyze faces. What makes them beautiful? Why do I think they're beautiful? What do they have that I don't have? So it was kind of a negative comparison, but that's where it all started. Okay. <laughs> so on your personal journey, have you done things to your face, to your body, to improve yourself, to feel more beautiful, to fit in, to for other reasons? Absolutely. In my younger professional years, I was all about experimenting on myself and we didn't have filters then aside from the Snapchat dog filter, the tongue <laughs> dog filter. The so. OG filter. <laughs> we didn't have much of the ones we have these days, but because of the aesthetic eye that I developed growing up, I knew the tweaks I wanted to make to my face. And most of it was to put my face in balance. Mm. You know, the proportions of your upper face, your mid face, your lower face, everything had to be in a certain alignment that I understood mm. was aesthetically pleasing for the majority of people. So my journey in my treatments was to find that balance, that facial harmony and align everything together. So most of the treatments I did was also to do with reversing aging. So all the signs that were showing my age, like the skin under my eyes or the lines um, on my forehead, even at rest, not even at movement. So the treatments I was, I was chasing was to kind of reverse my age, but also make my face aligned and proportionate to itself. Mm -hmm. So if you're saying I'm beautiful, I definitely did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> that must be the Nothing best advertisement that we could have literally put there. You're like, I am the proof of my great work. Thank you very much. Absolutely. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And you literally walk the talk, literally. Oh my gosh. I um, want to ask you though, because this this is falls part into things that I always wonder about w w with the good and the bad of the um, surgery. So when you as you went on this journey of improving yourself did you feel at any point loss of your identity or did you feel more of yourself after you kind of i had no identity growing up so i was always continually working on my outside it was the only thing i knew how to do or it was the only thing that interested me so it was not until my later years in life through a personal personal illness and that journey taught me when my whole exterior was stripped away then I realized actually it's more powerful to be heard than seen whereas before I thought it was more powerful to be seen than heard mm. so your inner voice or my inner voice became something that I learned to work on a lot more okay. in that time you mentioned you said that um you got cancer cancer that's right 2020 and was it in your chest in my chest mm. which i can't believe even it, it was such a hard diagnosis to swallow because i'm not a person 
my identity was I'm not a person that will get cancer. What do you mean? Interesting. Cancer at my age, it was crazy to me. Honestly, crazy. It shattered my whole world. And it's only in the last few months that I'm becoming more confident to talk about it. Mm. So tell me, tell me about it. It clearly seems that it fell uh, from nowhere and it completely turned your life upside down. So talk to me through the process of what happens when you find out and how did that alter your life and mm. your life's vision? It was a very tough journey, even, even at my time of diagnosis. So, so I was progressively getting sicker. Something was wrong and it was in my chest. So it was compressing my heart and my lungs. So I couldn't walk up a flight of stairs like I could. I couldn't work out at the gym like I could. I was constantly getting out of breath to a point where I was sleeping on four or five pillows. I had to be sleeping upright. I just couldn't breathe. Something was compressing my chest. And unfortunately, it was a time during COVID. So the medical resources and doctors in the NHS were very limited with their time as it was. So my whole process from being tested to diagnosis to treatment took about double the time, maybe even triple mm. than if it was in a normal situation. Um, it was shattering, I have to say. Shocking. I've never in my now 34 years have come across someone with cancer at my age. Really? Have you? Mm, no. It's so unheard of. Obviously, until when I got diagnosed and I met other people who are going through the same thing, yes, but in my little bubble, I was the youngest. So that in itself was very hard to talk about or to tell people or I found it quite shameful in a way because what did I do in life that gave me this disease? A really? disease is something that you get when you haven't been taking care of yourself or, you know, it's something bad that you've brought on yourself. So it honestly didn't make sense to me. And uh, it was a very rare form of a cancer called lymphoma. So it had grown in my chest wall, compressing my heart, compressing my lungs. Even just thinking about it now, I'm lost for words. This is one of the first times I'm actually talking about it, of course. So even during that time, the only people that knew was obviously my nuclear family, my mother and my brother. My friends knew later on while I was under treatment, so six months on, because they saw either a change in how I looked or they saw a change in my interaction with them. I literally fell off. I literally fell I off the world. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped posting on social media. I took a break from everything. I had no social life anymore. So the friends, the close friends that picked up on that, and they could see or they could hear something in my voice, I let them in. But aside from that, no one else knew. So probably only like five to six people knew in that time. And I didn't want people to know because I couldn't make sense of it myself. Mm. So that left you kind of isolated and completely... Isolated, yes. But I did that on purpose in a way. Because talking about it would mean the other person feeling a type of way for you which I didn't want mm. and usually that's sympathy or empathy or any other of these why didn't you want that I didn't know what to do with it I don't think that would have helped me I think that would have made me more sad and how did that process impact your looks 
I was never told this, but once I started chemotherapy, everything changed. Because my tumor or my um, lesion was so aggressive, my chemotherapy had to be very aggressive. And for that reason, the changes that then came about in my skin, my hair, my body was just unimaginable. I gained weight in the most ridiculous of places. I was ballooning up and down. I was not in control of my body, regardless of eating the same thing every day. So that was completely out of my control. Whereas before, um, you know me well, I eat well and I work out all the time. So for me, that was a disaster. My skin turned gray, turned dark, almost black. <laughs> it changed in so many ways that even my doctors in the NHS weren't aware of to, to let me know. Um, and my hair, they told me that my hair will probably fall out halfway through the chemotherapy. It started clumping out after my first session. So that was a huge heartbreak because I loved my hair. My I loved my hair so much. Every time I used to take a shower, I used to thank God for the hair on my head. It was very healthy, long, beautiful Indian hair. And it was one of the things that held my confidence from the outside. I did not have one hair on my body, not even one single eyelash. I was I was a mole. Oh my God. <laughs> so everything that I had held as high value and power to me from the outside was completely stripped away. How did that make you feel? It made me feel helpless. It made me... Today's episode is sponsored by everyone's favorite kombucha, Momo. Aside being an incredibly healthy and delicious product that I enjoy drinking, one of the main reasons I wanted to work with Momo is their story. It's a family-owned business, a handmade, locally brewed drink, and the result of the hard work of Josh and Lisa, who quit their corporate jobs to create something they believed would bring benefits to the world, which really, really resonates with me. When I visited their factory and saw with how much care each bottle of kombucha is prepared and how much each of their team believed in their mission and enjoyed working there, I knew that that's the type of people I want to work with. Check out their website for more information and use the discount code ISTHESIT15 to get a 15% off of your first order. feel so uncomfortable and, and not confident in myself anymore. But on the flip side, it made me turn more inward. It made me work on my voice. It made me work on my character. It made me work on the things that I never would have held so high like my looks mm. or my presentation, not necessarily my looks, but the way I presented myself, that was taken away. So I had to look for other, um, other things that I could find my confidence with when interacting with people or being out in society. So that for me was my voice, my skill set, my character. So the more important things started, started to come out. That was the biggest lesson. You're, you're okay now. I... Touch wood, yes, I'm, I'm really good right now and I'll hear my final news very soon. Okay, well, <laughs> fingers crossed. You look well, you look fantastic. Thank you, thank you. Um, and thank you, first of all, for sharing that. I can imagine it's a very vulnerable thing to share with the world. Yeah, honestly, it's a journey that I don't wish upon people. But the fact that I've gone through it, I have vlogged it. I have vlogged it with the intention of someday sharing my journey in full and sharing the images and the process and everything else. But 
it taught me a lot about life and about myself and about the people around you. So I would love to be able to inspire others or even motivate others going through that, that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. Because for me, at some point, there wasn't, you know. So I just want that to be a reminder for people one day. What was the darkest moment like? The darkest moment was when my mind was flat. So forget about my body and, and my appetite and everything else. When it affected my mind, there was no light at the end of the tunnel. It was just one long, endless tunnel. I had no motivation. I had no positive thoughts. I had no reason to get up in the morning. I had no reason to live. And I say that in a way because I was literally just breathing and surviving, but I didn't see a point in that. I wasn't suicidal, but my mind was flat. There was nothing in my mind. Do you think that's because at that point you didn't believe that you'll get better? Or is it chemically think, almost induced? Yeah, I think it was chemical. The disintegration in the physical part also contributed to that, but it was probably definitely all chemical. Wow. And part of the treatment was to go on medication to help with that, so antidepressants. But it's something that I've never truly wanted for myself. And I thought, no. I'm going to get through it without that. So maybe it took a little bit longer for me. It took nine months all in all for to regain my mind. And in those nine months, I can't even begin to tell you. I There would be days gone by where I wouldn't brush my teeth. I wouldn't take a shower because it didn't make sense as to why I should do that. I I can't, saying it out loud now seems so silly and disgusting in a way. But when you're in that state, there was no reason for me to do anything. Nothing made sense. I think it's invaluable that you're sharing this because for people that have not gone through this experience, I think it's very hard to understand and put themselves in the shoes of people that have cancer and that go through this. And, you know, maybe antidepressants would help. But for people such as yourself that choose not to do it, it seems like you are your control is being completely taken away mm. not only externally about how you look which for you was your whole identity as well what you valued what you dedicated your life to but not only that because of these chemical um, impacts on your body even your mind is impacted so it's not your body it's not even your mind anymore mm -hmm. so you're not yourself in any given moment absolutely That's, i was just a living clump of cells with no purpose crazy. <laughs> it is very crazy and I'm, i'm proud of myself today to get through all of that without antidepressants but i know a lot of people around me that are that have been on antidepressants and they definitely have fast-tracked that process it was a personal choice that i made and i'm glad i did it because i've proven the strength to myself So if any situation were to come again in life, I know that if I had faced that without anything and by myself, I can do the same for anything else that's to come. I sense that you've taken a lot of very, very good things away from this. So the I disease really might have. have surprised you <laughs> and, and, you know, attacked you from nowhere. Yeah. But you definitely stood the ground and you fought it. And, you know, that's up for you to say but it sounds like you took more 
from it than it took from you. Absolutely. It's 10x my personal development. It's changed my outlook on life and it's changed my interactions with people. My life now is more concise, clear. My direction has never been more clear. Mm. So if we talk about the the beauty aspect, so the the aesthetic looks, how has your vision of that aspect of life changed now and how much importance do you place on it for yourself and for others i don't value it as high as i did i think that was a very immature outlook from my part that i've now outgrown and it's taught me that it's a byproduct of how you are on the inside and if you can look after your your thoughts and emotions and your internal wellness you'll automatically have some degree of external wellness and then my work to complement that will be to further refine that yes but is really hone down the importance of your inside much more because without the inside there is no outside mm, definitely so it's brought a more balanced vision much more balanced because anything we do in clinic you can see it if your inside is not treated we're just putting a band-aid on the outside mm. so there are temporary results if we can work on the inside the byproduct is the outside and we further refine it that's going to be a much more prolonged result a more maintainable result for that individual mm. that's so true on many levels i mean the first thing that comes to mind is an example of a really by all standards gorgeous drop that gorgeous person but when they have, we've all met those people, and but they have a terrible personality. Just, you know, as soon as they do something or open their mouth, you're like, oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? And immediately, it just... It takes away from their beauty. Away. Yeah. It takes away so yeah, much. Yeah. And equally, there might be, you know, a really average looking person. And then they just come with this smile and this super strong, positive energy. And they completely take everyone uh, like a storm. Absolutely. And how they look doesn't matter anymore. Exactly. See, it's all, the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Everything is subjective. Once you stop fixating on things that are of less value than others, your whole outlook changes. You have a chance to prove yourself and inside always wins. Yeah. Even thinking about relationships. uh, (laughs) Okay, going personal, right? Um, <laughs> but, you know, of course, when we are attracted to other people, that's our cue to then start conversing and, you know, make contact. So usually that's how it goes. You're attracted to somebody, you establish contact, maybe then their personality is crap and then you're like, yeah. okay, goodbye. Not for everyone. <laughs> Some people are like, well, I don't care about the personality as long as they're pretty. Um, but that doesn't last. That does not that last. That doesn't last, exactly. Or, or if it does, then it's definitely not like a very happy mm, exactly, exactly. union. Um, but then equally, like I've had in my life uh, circumstances where, you know, it's it's a group of friends, a group of people that you know, and there's somebody that you might have not even noticed in the beginning, but then you kind of establish this rapport and then you learn more about them and they have such a wonderful personality, mm-hmm. incredible one. You just just fall in love at some point i think that trumps all don't you think yeah we've all been there we've all dated the handsome men yeah where are they now (laughs) very very true (laughs) i don't know but the yeah it's definitely definitely the the values 
it's good to have last longer absolutely it's good to have a good first impression on people you don't need to be the most stunning human but if you look presentable if you dress well look neat and have good skin that's important for me then automatically you're gonna grasp the interest of someone Mm. without being strikingly stunning i love that you said that today sorry not today tomorrow my new solo episode is coming out on confidence. We, you, we could just quote you. I literally said the same thing. <laughs> no so perfect. We're on the same page. <laughs> That's amazing. So I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the practical stuff that people can also take away for themselves. Because we've spoken a lot about uh, skincare, about looking nice. But first of all, for people to understand exactly what it is you do, what are the procedures that you work on. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just sure. tell us real quick? I'm known for skin and anti-wrinkle there will be my specialist interests as well uh, so that's one part of medical aesthetics or one part of anti-aging reju- rejuvenative medicine um, skin and skin health a lot of people forget that skin is your biggest organ it's a part of you and the common mistake that we do is we self-diagnose with skincare so it starts off from our teenage years we pick and choose depending on Uh, the packaging of the product or it's been mentioned in a magazine or someone we used to follow uh, celebrity wise is using it and endorsing it so we typically tend to self-diagnose and that leads to so many problems down the line because they're not the ingredients or formulations that feed the skin in the right way so my job my main job by the way all my life until i came to you i've just been (laughs) I've just been buying stuff in the supermarket, not what supermarket, like whatever, yeah, like stores, boots beauty or, stores, yeah. Sephora, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I just buy things that, you know, whoever markets them better mm-hmm. gets bought. Exactly. Essentially. But and it's we, not how it works. No, we have to take a step back. We have to understand that skin is not a luxury thing. It's it's a part of our body. We need to feed it what it needs for its optimal functioning. Just like how we eat proteins, carbs, and fats for our body. And in certain amounts and from certain foods, we need to do exactly the same for our skin. And people often miss that concept. Mm. Certain ingredients will feed our skin, will make sure that the skin cells function optimally for a very long time. And it will make sure that the skin looks as best. We think baby skin. So our our hallmark of good skin is, is baby skin. It's flawless. It's dewy. It's bouncy. It's plump. Why? Because number one, they've not done anything to tarnish it number two it's it's in a growth phase so it's constantly renewing itself the skin cell cycle is a few days to a week long versus versus for us after the age of 25 onwards it's two to three months so the top layer of skin that we have right now if you don't look after your skin is probably three months old so it's a lot of dead skin and dead skin is going to look dull and aged and dry and wrinkly so what do we do we have to try and reverse can that time of course okay how with certain skincare ingredients you can take it from three months to at least one and a half month and that in itself will give you what is the magic ingredient we're talking about there's a few Mm. (laughs) there's a few and it really depends on what your needs are and what you're currently using and what your concerns are so I can't, I can generically name mm-hmm. one, which is a retinoid or a vitamin A. Mm-hmm. That is one that everyone should be using. But 
the advice on the ingredients and everything should be personalized to you mm. everyone has different concerns everyone has different skin types even you with the skin on your face you're going to have a different skin type on your cheeks versus your nose versus That's your so forehead annoying. That's so, so much work <laughs> it's your job mm. or it's my job to assess all of this and give you a treatment protocol that's going to address all of this according to your results or budget and take it from there i love that love that so it's about the creams we're talking about now we're talking about only creams. skincare yes topical okay and when we talk about other things more other things will be a, a little bit deeper so injectables anything to do with needles they go underneath the skin so anti-wrinkle will go in the muscle it's a medication to prevent the muscle from moving so much the botox the botox never to freeze because frozen faces again are not normal does you... that happen when you overdose the botox or? overdose yes okay. overdose Or put it in the wrong areas? Overdose. Oh, when you overdose. put it in the wrong places, that's when you get okay, weird a lopsided face. face. <laughs> okay, okay. okay. <laughs> so that in itself, yes, you really need to be careful in, in the treatment that you get done. It has to be right for your face and it has to be right for how much you have aged. And it has to be right for what you're trying to achieve. Mm. What is the right age? Start Botox? This is a medication and in medicine, there is no right age. There's an indication. So if you have a problem and we can fix it, then that is the right age. What the right age is a problem. Uh, let's take the most common lines on your forehead. For example, you can have lines on your forehead at the age of 18, 21, 25, 32, 42. Hmm. When it starts bothering you is when it's the right age to treat when it. When it becomes a problem. Yes. Okay. And I guess I'm just going through things that I've heard people say. So it's a little bit of like low-key myth debunking. So is Botox a poison? Yes and no. <laughs> the mechanism in which it works, it paralyzes the muscle, aka it stops the muscle from moving so much. So the skin on top of the muscle folds and wrinkles and crinkles based on the muscle moving underneath. So if we were to control that movement or the extent of that movement, then we can minimize the wrinkling and crinkling on the skin that we see. Mm. So it's, it's a medication that helps control and therefore helps reduce the appearance of lines and wrinkles. So if, say, someone starts doing it at the young 20s, mid 20s, and presumably they will continue for the next, however, 30 40 decades <laughs> what happens over time is there an over accumulation in the body of the toxin of, of botox or not really mm -hmm. there's no accumulation it's a very localized treatment and your muscles and nerves will move around it it will build new branches so again that that movement is regained after some time so the effects do wear off um, but one thing i can say if you are starting so young then you really need to do everything else with it to make sure that your result will be as natural as possible for your three to four decades to come. Mm. Otherwise, too much of something obviously has its negative effects as well as the positive. I guess what pops into my mind right now is, is there something that people can do that mm, would give similar results without that or something that can complement it? For example, these like face massages, I don't know, like face rolling things like that is that something that you 
do or recommend? Not really. There is no replacement for Botox. That's why it's it's honestly magic in a bottle. But there are other things you can do, for example, with skincare or skin treatments that can help you not get as much Botox or maybe not even get any Botox at all. Hmm. So, for example, if we do skin treatments or use skincare strategically to thicken the skin, thicker, healthier skin will wrinkle and wrinkle less. So naturally you will have less lines. Thicker skin. Interesting. That's why the more darker the skin tone. Black don't crack. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) I know that one. Um, Okay, well, well. They have really thick skin. For all my uh, thin, thin-skinned white people <laughs> listening, how do you think in your skin? Thinner skin, then, then you're going to have to do treatments that will help build collagen, elastin, help hydrate, and your skincare needs to complement that as well. So it's a day-in, day-out process. Mm. So we're we talking about creams, and are we talking about some sort of lasers or injections? Or- creams as well as treatments. Lasers are more for resurfacing. Mm. Uh, injectables with dermal fillers or um, beautiful right. products like Profilo will help to increase collagen and elastin. So let's, this, this is becoming a very female uh, episode. I feel like guys, <laughs> guys, guys men, switched actually, on You will be surprised. Ago. Really? My patient load is almost more men than females. Almost. <gasps> Sneaky. <laughs> no way. I almost. Yes, yes, what? yes. But for for what? Is it for uh, Botox? Is it for fillers? Uh, I never spot treat. So it's for full facial rejuvenation, whatever it it is that they need. But a lot of skin and a lot of anti-wrinkle. But we're doing it as a whole face, one unit. Not spot treating the one line or the one area. Because then it's an obvious look. Mm -hmm. Then you can tell that someone's had something done. Because the rest of them is moving and then one part is not moving so let's talk about a little bit about fillers you said fillers profilo mm-hmm. so what are these when do people need to need to not need to but can inject them mm-hmm. and how does that work so fillers as the name suggests is going to fill so it's useful for volume replacement and where you place them often dictates your results so dermal fillers are very safe and they've been used for many years. And these days, the, the advanced technology, there's hardly any complications. Let's take lip fillers, for example. 20, 30 years ago, they had permanent fillers, silicone. Now we use dermal fillers, which is pure hyaluronic acid, just cross-linked. Which is something that exists in your body anyway. Which so is something natural. that naturally exists in mm-hmm. your body. And, and it depletes as we age. So in a way, we're just replacing it. Mm. Um now we have fillers that for example injected in the lips they move with the lips they're not so rubbery and blubbery and thick so often when you do lip filler treatment for someone that needs it no one will be able to tell it's not obvious it's not thick and that's a beautiful result in my eyes and it gives the person the confidence they still look like themselves and no one else will be able to tell you know what what about all the shaming and all the all the backlash that people have to go through when they want to do something for the first time. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's changing. Yeah. Because I've worked in California. I've worked here. I've worked in Italy and also in India. 
and the spectrum of the stigma is crazy in california if you don't get something done for maintenance it's like what's wrong with you mm. in india you can't tell anyone you've you've gotten anything done because that's like oh my goodness they're 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 gonna be like why have you why have you done this to yourself here i work 50 50 i think here in england we're slowly opening up more mm. but there is still a stigma attached i'm not sure why i i am not sure that i'm sure there are many reasons but i can't pinpoint the exact reason why when it's done in a safe way when we're achieving natural results when you still look like yourself i i don't understand that stigma i think it might be linked to first of all people don't like change and i'm talking about people that surround the person that wants to do it so one is instinctively i think they're just change averse uh, I think the second more conscious thing is they think they're protecting the people mm. in question because they think that, you know, if they want to change something, surely that means that they're, you know, insecure, not confident, not happy with themselves. And by them being, you know, contrary to that decision of theirs to alter themselves, they're showing their support. Mm. Where I guess oftentimes... It doesn't really work like that. Yeah, maybe for surgery you could say that. But in the field of non-surgical aesthetics, mm. I don't see that being a big part. Education because, then. Yeah, education. Yeah. There are a lot knowledge. of positive changes that, that my industry and my work has contributed to. For example, our working age is extending year by year. Mm. And people going for interviews that are in their 40s, 50s and 60s they come in for treatments because they have to compete with the younger generation. And when you meet someone, we subconsciously judge them by how tired they look. So if I was interviewing you for a job and you came in with your natural lines on your forehead, bags under your eyes, <laughs> do you think that I would offer you a job? And this is me being really mean. We, yeah. we shouldn't do this, but our eyes just train subconsciously to pick up on these small things. I mean, the classic so, men going... Are you sick when you don't wear makeup? <laughs> the audacity. I know. Oh. Or you look tired after you've had 10 hours rest. <laughs> so there's a lot of positive changes that the industry has contributed to. Hmm. And um, I think the stigma is something that, that people are slowly getting over, which is a good thing. Because the results now are more natural. Of course, if you go to the right person, hmm. um, there's really nothing to be scared of. And having more confidence makes you a happier person. And that in itself is a huge contribution to society. Amen to that. So I want to give the audience something useful, something practical. So if you had to describe some of the best practices people can and should adopt in order to look more youthful and fresh for many years to come, what would you say? Mm -hmm. Always look after your skin is the first thing that introduces you to the room. So definitely pay attention to that. Seek expert help. Uh, don't self-diagnose. It is an organ of your body, so feed it exactly what it needs. That's number one. Number two, what was your question again? Yeah, best practices. Best, best practices, practices for people to adopt to look young, to look fresh, to okay. look beautiful for many, many years. Okay. I guess comes without saying, you know, guys, sleep exercise oh, okay you mean those well kind of, yeah of course that's, sure. that's all the internal the, wellness yes yeah, the of basics, course of course because your if sleep you don't hygiene, do those you can do whatever you want but yes the, it's the, not gonna last the black circles are gonna show absolutely and, you know it's, absolutely the skin is not gonna be hydrated so obviously the basics mm -hmm. but then in terms of you know other things that 
you as an expert could mm -hmm. maybe so everything that we do is all about reversing aging or taking a snapshot of how you are today and maintaining that for the next five years 10 years if we wanted to reverse aging then we're looking at the common signs of aging that bother people so the lines wrinkles the hollowness under the eyes the deepening smile lines things like this are, are fixable which will restore a more youthful state of your face maybe mm. how you looked four or five years ago when they weren't so pronounced and then we can snapshot that and maintain that for the next five years ten years so if you want to look a more fresher version of yourself typically what i'd ask you to do is give me a picture of when you thought you looked fresh maybe from five six seven years ago and we'll just work backwards hmm. okay so we have our basic pillars of health we have you guys so you can with the with the fillers with the botox with the skincare specific bespoke skincare to the person's uh, skin so that's something that people can do is there anything else maybe some special supplements that you recommend or i don't know spf <laughs> yeah as, well, spf comes under skincare that yeah. is a, an important ingredient it's a necessary ingredient and not to prevent burning or tanning or skin cancer which is quite rare it's the the uva and uvb rays really damage the dna and it leads to thinning skin and it leads to the superficial lines and wrinkles uh -oh. that's why spf every single day because daylight is sunlight you don't need to have the sun beaming in your face the fact that we have daylight it is sun rays so spf 365 even in the winter so that is part of skincare that's very vital okay <laughs> spf noted i'm very guilty of this for whatever reason i just always think that it's where does it sit in my skincare routine? yeah you, you need to see that, that that that's my job to help you find the perfect one fair play fair play <laughs> anything else anything else there's oh my god there there's a lot of things that i can recommend and suggest but yeah the basics internal wellness look after your skin um come in for tweaks come in for little enhancements to reverse little signs of aging and just be be happy i think that shows a lot on your face mm. you can easily tell when someone walks into the room if they're sad angry or happy true very very true so if i asked you what things are most of us doing day to day that are really damaging our skin not wearing spf um i get this one a lot you should drink water for your body but skin is actually the last place that it shows up on so that's one of the myths that i would love to debunk mm. the water you drink or the foods we consume it goes to all our vital organs first so our heart our lungs our brains our kidneys skin is the last place it goes to okay well, how do so we of course it? drink water for health but it's not gonna necessarily show up on your skin but of course if you don't drink water you're going to have dehydrated skin okay so do stay on top of your health protocols <laughs> you're like confused now <laughs> I'm like should i drink should i not drink you should drink should i yes should bathe myself <laughs> in water should i just wash my face all you should time? definitely drink drink water mm -hmm. but one of the common myths or one of the common questions i get asked is oh yeah i don't drink enough water for my skin and so you can't really drink water for your skin i mean even if you over consume water it's going to be excreted anyway so i guess you hydrated by skin the right moisturizers yes yes creams. yes and by the way we've been talking a lot about face what about the whole body 
do you recommend oils do you recommend body i don't um treat bodies so much because i've specialized in just the Mm. face but the common tips and tricks for for body just include yeah moisturize after you shower retain your skin barrier Mm um spf i typically myself don't wear unless i'm on holiday but the most basic thing you can do is yeah, moisturize after you shower and especially for females who are shaving make sure you use an appropriate razor mm-hmm. shaving foam preventing ingrown hairs and those little um irritation spots that we get noted <laughs> noted um so you mentioned you mentioned myth i want to ask you what are the common myths that you deal with day to day that you need to debunk all the time about mm-hmm. skincare, about uh, microsurgery, uh, about, you know, all the industry. Okay, that's well, I've already mentioned one, the water. Let's um, do, let me think. Uh, for example, vitamin C. I always advocate using a vitamin C for an antioxidant as part of your skincare regime. And I'll have some patients tell me, oh yeah, I take a vitamin C supplement or I eat oranges every day that's good i don't need that product so one thing again going back to the water skin is the last place it goes to so applying something topically on your skin is going to be 20 times more potent so everything in your skincare is there for a reason don't rely on what you consume to show up on your skin so supplements as well for the skin they're such a big fad but the amount they actually affect your skin is quite minuscule that to me is a complete game changer because I literally would have thought exactly the opposite. <laughs> I remember my mom would even say, you know, if the if the thing is good enough to eat, like <laughs> to go into your internal organs, then it's good enough for your skin because yeah. obviously it's, as you said, the biggest organ. But clearly from what you're saying, you know, it, it has to be applied care. to be effective. Yes. Yeah. And that's another myth. I'll have patients say, but my mother and grandmother never used these. Why should I use these? Mm-hmm. And then going back to their whole environment was entirely different. They had cleaner air, they had cleaner food, they had less makeup. Hmm. We are the complete opposite. We're piling on chemicals on our face. We're out in a a thinner ozone atmosphere. Um, Our foods are now not so organic as they used to be. So all these has has a big effect on how we're aging compared to our mothers and grandmothers and great grandparents. Very true. That's another common one. And then what else? Um, anti-wrinkle. If I start now, how how will I look when I'm older? That's a common one that's asked. And if you get the right dose and the right frequency and the right timeline, you're going to look as good as you are today. You will look as good for that age. If you get too much, that's when all the complications start mm. to happen. So your skin will get more. thinner. Less is definitely more. Baby Botox or microdosing of Botox mm. is the best form of anti-wrinkle treatments than, than a full dose. And I think people here have it the wrong way. They, they want those clear foreheads and frozen faces. But in the future, that's definitely not going to look good because the skin is going to be thinner. You'll, you, you can tell that someone's got a shiny forehead, too much Botox. That's what it is. I've definitely seen that. Uh-huh. No movement, too much Botox. Yeah. So interesting. I think it's almost become norm. I catch myself sometimes looking at uh, some women and I'm like, oh my God, they're so beautiful. And then I see them talk and nothing moves. Yeah. Yeah. I'm it's like, hard to relate to them. 
yeah but no but the, the problem is that I'm got, i've become used to that mm. and i think oh yeah she's so pretty and they're like wait a second <laughs> i haven't seen one part of her face move in this whole conversation i know and then i'm like oh you know but but i think all of us are influenced especially i can't imagine for men you know I'm i'm a woman and i pay attention to these things but imagine men they're you know completely bamboozled by 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 these standards that now have becoming the norm mm. and so when they see a real person a, a real re- woman a, a real yeah it, it suddenly it's like oh hmm, you know yeah because now they're used to these like dull faces mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think that's something i think that's taking it a little bit too extreme because mm. not everyone is is going to be bothered by their lines and wrinkles and that's a good thing mm. but the key is the practitioners that we train and work with in everywhere not just this country the importance of not making your patient happy but making sure the treatment you're giving them is suitable is more important so if you were to come in and say i want this 98% of the doctors will give you that mm. but it's not normal it's not medically appropriate and it should be my job to say to you i won't give you that but i'll give you 60 to 70% mm. that's going to be a natural result and that's going to be my balance because once you start getting a treatment done you're going to continue to get it done so again less is more especially if you want to span it out for the next 10 20 30 years and you want to stay looking natural and not off um you need to not always get 100% and that's really hard to explain to a patient no definitely and hearing you talk you're obviously very knowledgeable and you're one of the most well-known doctors in the field um in london and you know abroad you work also abroad so what do you think you could attribute your uh, professional success to my professional success um It was a huge learning curve and I think I was quite aggressive in my passion as I mentioned from childhood being the ugly duckling and on this journey to perfect myself from the outside and then my illness and then the inside I've now come to a platform where what's helped me get there was pure passion it was this need to look and be a certain way for my confidence and to have that power and to be accepted in my surrounding um i had really good mentors i was really lucky in in the people that came into my life and the people that i sought after and and applied to i was really lucky in to see how they had created their success and reverse engineered or had a look at their journey how they got there and tried to implement that in my life and also i've not taken no for an answer I've always taken a no as a not now. Okay. <laughs> That helps. <laughs> always continued, nothing deterred me. Um and what else? And I've always held close that quote. Don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. Mm, I like that. A little bit aggressive, but with the right intentions, you can always ask for forgiveness even if you break the rules. <laughs> fair enough no no i i i agree with that yeah it's years ago that i looked around saw some correlations and i was like absolutely so some of the most successful people have broken rules to get there mm. you have to certain rules are in place to not grow you they're in place to have you done that have of course oh my goodness What's i can't believe it one so that comes many. to your mind 
I'll tell you one of my main ones is so when I finished studying medicine and I was working in the NHS in England, my foundation years, um, I applied for the initial aesthetic course, the, the two day Botox and fillers, just to see what it is, get more knowledge. And I was actually underqualified for that course. As it stands, you already had to have finished your foundation years to be able to join. And I kind of ignored that. And I said, I'm going to apply anyway. I had my half registration, which is a year less than your full qualification. And by luck and their lack of due diligence, I got in. Wow. So I, I got the qualification. I started practicing on my friends and family and built a really small business in my local area. And I loved it. Thank God I had no complications because I genuinely loved what I was doing and the anatomy made sense and the medication made sense. So I had no trouble that way. But because I was excelling in my outside of work little hobby, my colleagues got jealous and they reported me. So I had a whole Next. case with the GMC, which is uh, the regulating body for doctors. And they were basically saying, you can't practice. You're not a full doctor yet. And I had all this paperwork and these meetings to basically state that, okay, I won't practice until I'm a doctor. It was a whole headache, but I asked for their forgiveness. I said, okay, I didn't know, but these are my qualifications that I've done to show you that I'm, com that I'm competent in what I'm doing. These are my reviews from my patients. This is my insurance. So in a way I was aggressive. I went through with it. I got caught. I asked for forgiveness. And they said, okay, fine. Did you keep doing it? I mean, in secret, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would not expect <laughs> another answer, to be fair. Tivia, if I asked you, what is your purpose? My purpose, if you're asking me today, and it's a really good question because it's only the last recent while that I've been thinking about this. I would love to be a beacon of inspiration um, for others in their journey of life. I would love to help people with their confidence. And confidence comes with many layers, you know, like, a, like an onion peel. If I can help them with their inner confidence, I believe that they'll have a necessary skill set to be able to do good in their line of work. And I would love to help others in their darkest moments. From my experience alone, I've learned so much and I would love to be able to inspire others to continue even if they are in their darkest moment right now. Mm, that's beautiful. So focused around education. You've shared quite a few already, but if I asked you to share with me the three lessons that you've really held close to your heart. Three lessons in life. I've come to learn that people come and go. Oh my goodness, people are temporary. You can never have an attachment to any one person because that person someday will leave. And this is actually a cure for all heartbreak, especially those in relationships. Because if someone voluntarily leaves, they're telling you they don't want to be with you. Why would you cling on and beg? Why would you not just accept and be like, oh my gosh, you don't We're want me to the vision okay bye <laughs> yeah but that's just one example you know um your family members everyone else your grandparents they all are with you for a certain point in time 
people are temporary so never have an attachment always appreciate your time with them always be grounded in the moment but just know that you won't have that forever mm. i've had so many good friends best friends come and go and i've learned that to enjoy them for that period and that phase in life and then it's on to the next chapter mm. unfortunately we cannot have the same people forever okay. that was one of the hardest le lessons i had to learn is letting people go that's number one number two always be clear in the direction of your life or, or your end goal and never take no for an answer the more clear you are the more opportunities you will get to achieve everything and get to your end point mm. and number three always rely on yourself i think being true to yourself and your values and beliefs and your character is so important and it will carry you for the rest of your life there is no one else you can rely on in your moment in need than yourself mm. i sense a lot of how to say individualistic power yeah coming in from someone that always wanted to be a sheep <laughs> mm. so i feel like maybe kind of pulling everything together that you've told me you've undergone you know maybe it was because of the cancer maybe it happened already way before but this uh, transformation of finding your own path finding your own voice and you know nothing can really stop you i'm i'm sensing this also in the three lessons that you mm -hmm. that yeah. you shared with me and i'm continuing to grow i'm just getting started i can't say that i've accomplished everything and this is just my phase two or three but there's so many other phases and chapters in life to go journey never stops it never stops <laughs> So I like to um, end my interviews with one specific question, which is the reason why I ask is because everyone, everyone wants to be happy. Everyone is consciously or subconsciously seeking that happiness. And so I like to ask, what is your recipe for happiness? My recipe for happiness would be personal freedom. Personal freedom, whether that's in communication with others, financial freedom how you spend your time freedom for me personally is happiness mm. so if i can find my freedom to be able to do the things that i want to do in life i'm going to be the happiest i love that and i and i share share uh, freedom is one of my core values mm -mm. i definitely share that sentiment with you <laughs> davia thank you so much thank you so much for having me I've enjoyed this conversation and it's been very illuminating. I hope people can pick up things for their day-to-day uh, -day life. I hope so. And I must say, English is not my first language. And it's one of the things that has always, always held me back in doing things like this. No. So for me to be able to do this without second-guessing myself I would have is never a big guessed. win for me. <laughs> you, did, you did amazing. And by the Thank way, you. Neither, neither is mine. English so but it's like the third or so something. you know so what I mean I know exactly yeah, it's what you like mean. formulating sentences is not as easy as someone who speaks it fluently <laughs> definitely not and sometimes I catch myself even as I say it mm. that I've made a little mistake mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you know what I'm, I'm fine with that yeah by now exactly know, it's the intention that counts it's the message that, that we're putting Absolutely. out there and you don't need to be perfect that's something that I learned mm -hmm. uh, in the past years as well that you know perfection is really the enemy of of good mm -hmm. there's even a saying that goes something like don't let 
the don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good meaning that if you can That's do something one. hello friends if you enjoyed this episode please make sure to subscribe and share it with someone I would love to hear your feedback and suggestions as to what guests you would like to see in the show next. See you next week.